person, he'll do it for the other person. Testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy. Come up here, Rachel. What, what are you being shy for? All right. I'm trying. I'm getting over it. Um, so I just heard the Lord just say um, that a lot of the issue is um, that his, his children are afraid of abandonment or failure. He, he feels that um, he just wants me to tell you and let you know that, that that's not the case, that he just wants to break that abandonment off of your hearts, that he just wants you to know that you're loved right where you're at, that he wants to invite your love in every place of your heart, every room. Just let the love of God. So right now, we just ask if you would posture your hearts, if you would just let the Lord come in. So if you're going to posture your heart, we just invite you, Lord. We just invite your love in our hearts. We just invite you to every room, every place where we feel abandoned, where we feel hurt, where we feel that we're not enough. That is a lie. And we just invite your reckless love to come in and show us the truth that you love us right where we're at that you love us it's not about what we do our mistakes our failures it's about Jesus it's about his love it's about how he's chosen to love you before you were even born he made that decision you are worthy you are loved get your identity from him and him only he just wants you to know that you are so loved. And if you would just invite his love in, if you would just invite his love in everywhere, every part, every situation, he wants to heal you from every lie, every lie. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's sing, sing Waymaker one more time, guys. I'm going to come up here and yell during it, so just ignore me. So whether it's healing prosperity, whatever you're hoping for, believing for, just don't believe the lie that God is holding back on you because he wants it more than you do. Amen. That's a good word. Hallelujah. Okay. You got it. There's no Cynthia hand. The Lord is saying, trust me, I am worthy of your trust. If my people who are called by my name will trust me and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. Trust me, trust me. Hallelujah. You know, Sometimes people, it's like, what? About a year and a half, I would say, um, I came up here for prayer, and Nicole and Josh prayed for me for my finances. Josh gave me a word. He said, it's just like when Jesus fed the 5,000, and he had 
enough left over and it kept multiplying. And so I was telling them that after I pay my tithes and pay my bills, that I have little left over. And so Josh told me, he said, you're going to start having a lot left over. He said, it's going to multiply. And it's doing it now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If Josh gives you a word, it's, it's right. So just be encouraged. Hallelujah, I believe. They would just let anybody share, but if you went longer than five minutes, they'd ring this bell, <laughs> and then you had to sit down. But they saw revival sweep through Wales, and uh, it was really powerful. So a couple quick announcements. Um, let me get my papers here. And Saturday morning from 9 to noon, then he'll be here at church at 10... And it's 6.30 p.m. right here. So if you want to see Jerry, you don't have an excuse not to see him, all right? He's going to do a lot of meetings. Uh, we will have, at our Sunday night service, we'll have nursery, but we will not have children's church. Um, so that's one thing. And then uh, March 8th, I'm going to be ministering in North Carolina, and so Josh will be preaching, so it'll be really good. If you haven't joined a small group and you'd like to, there's still sign-up sheets out there. If you're new here, we'd love you to fill out one of these connection cards, and we'll let you know more about the church and how you can get connected. And then finally, um, Lynn back here, is, uh, next weekend, there's this, um, the Johnson County Home and Garden Show in the KC Spring Boutique. It's at the Overland Park Convention Center. Anyway, Lynn has some free tickets to that you're interested in going, you can sign up to get an email from her. She, she's back here. Can you wave, Lynn? She's back here in the hat. She'll be at the Welcome Center on the way out. And it's first come, first serve. She's got 40 tickets. But what will happen is she'll send you an email on Tuesday, and then you got to click the link, and you get a ticket. But anyway, she wanted to give those away. I thought that was nice. So if you want to go, that's really awesome. All right. Right now, we're going to receive our regular church offering. If you need an offering envelope, raise your hand up. The ushers will get you one of those. If you're giving with a check, you can make checks out to CKC. Uh, you can text the word GIVE to that phone number if you want to give that way and enter your card number. If you're giving with cash, you can get an envelope there. Um, I know everybody wants to update on the building, so if you haven't been here, uh, we're in the process of purchasing our first building up on uh, Johnson Drive, and I think it's going to be great. Um, the... Uh, process is slow, <laughs> all right? So they, they, the two things have to happen for this to work. Number one is they have to get approval from their district overseers. It's a Nazarene church. And then the number two is they, we're going to have to do these inspections. And the inspections, we know some of the problems, but, but if there's a whole bunch of terrible problems beyond what we know, then it then we might have to rethink what we're doing. But I think it's going to be fine because I know about most of the problems. So, um, But they still haven't gotten their approval, and they apologized to me. They thought that it should have been done by now. But, you know, when you're part of a large denomination, sometimes things move slowly. So they offered to, they, they've made us an agreement that we're going to go ahead and start the inspection process. And then if for some reason... That, which they don't foresee happening, but if for some reason they weren't able to get the approval, they'll reimburse us for the cost 
of those inspections. So I thought that was nice. So we will start the inspection process next week, and um, we'll let you know how it goes from there, all right? So I'm going to pray for the offering, and then we'll get into the message. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and love towards us. Thank you that we get to give, and we thank you that you're working in this process with this building. And we aren't stressed out about it, God. We know that if, if it's from you, that it'll come at the right time. And so we just receive it with gladness in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, uh, if you have a Bible, you can open up to Acts chapter 2. I was going to recommend to you, if you want to know more about revival history, I, I think that one of the, uh, there, there's a, a great lack of knowledge just about history in the church, in America in general. And um, if you want to know more about the Holy Spirit and what He's done throughout history, this is a book series called Pentecost to the Present. It's by Jeff Oliver. If you want to look at it after church or something, you can. This is super easy to read. You could read this in a, in a day or two. Um, this is the second one in a series. This is, I've read the first two. This one's my favorite. It goes from 1500 to 1900. So it covers John Wesley, Charles Wesley, George Whitfield, um, Charles Finney, John Alexander Dowie. Um, Evan Roberts, who I mentioned earlier, a bunch of other people, talking about just the revivals that have happened throughout American history and and European history. And they don't a lot of times cover that in your American history class in college. And uh, uh, so it would really, it it is really encouraging to me to read that. If you're interested, I would, I would, uh, that's an easy one to read and, and be encouraged. So we're talking a little bit about revival because, thank God, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, so now I can die in peace. And, and you know, there was this word that Bob Jones apparently gave about that when that happened, that would, revival would break out. Now, God, as I'll say in a minute, God doesn't unilaterally control people. It's not like, you know, he made the Chiefs win or something like that. But I think that if you, look at, if you look at Old Testament prophecy, a lot of times what it was was God saying, look, there's a, there's a possible bad future out ahead of you. Don't go towards that. Yeah. Anybody read that Old Testament prophecy? I mean, I'm going to destroy Nineveh in however many days. And, and Jonah was supposed to preach that. And then they looked at that bad future and they thought, wow, I don't want that. And so they repented. And they weren't destroyed until later in the book of Nahum. But um, in, the, in the New Testament, I think it's reversed. I think what prophecy does is it paints a positive picture of the future, and then it encourages you to believe and move towards that. So I think that sometimes there are, you know, God does and can use signs, not because he's like controlling things and whatever, but they, they can encourage us to believe. And we're meant to believe, when we're talking about believing for revival in America and things like that, if you look back through church history, I mean, revivals really shaped American history. The the first great awakening unified the 13 colonies, and it prepared them to win the Revolutionary War in a lot of ways. It was one of the first things that they all experienced in common, because up till that point, they were were very, um, you know, they're each individual colonies and those sorts of things. And so... 
Uh, it's fascinating to read about all that. But revivals are periods in history where God is powerfully affecting people and cities and regions, and His presence is felt and experienced at a more intense level than usual. During uh, this 1850s revival, I was just reading about to some of my leadership people, in the, the eastern seaboard, this was when Charles Finney was ministering, they talked about that ships would come from Europe or whatever, and they'd get close to America, and there was so much revival going on in America that nobody would say anything, nobody would preach anything. The ship would get close to the dock, and people on the ship would start saying, I'm a sinner. They'd start feeling convicted of their sins, and they'd say, I need Jesus. And this one ship, all the people, were they get, get close to the shore, and the captain called the shore and said, you guys need to send us a minister because all these people out here, they're, they're, we're, we're all convicted of our sins. We need to get born again. So there just seemed to be these, these seasons of just, you know, an intense presence of God. Now, why is that? And that, you know, that asks a lot of questions that maybe we'll, we'll try to deal with. I don't necessarily know all the answers, but Anyway, what are some characteristics of revival? There, there are times of special encounters with the Holy Spirit. Uh, the gifts of the Spirit increase. In, in revival, there's usually mass conversions, people coming to Jesus, um, sometimes during the revival, sometimes after. There's a renewed focus on missions, outreach, prayer, worship. Uh, the denominations get along better. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, there's theological shifts that happen, and it impacts society at large. Now, all revivals aren't the same, and some have, you know, some of these phenomena, some have not all of them. I think Billy Graham's Crusades were a revival in America. Uh, how many, I mean, I loved, I idolized Billy Graham growing up, and, and, you know, he saw thousands of people come to Jesus. He didn't see speaking in tongues or some of the different phenomena that we saw this morning, but to me, that's a revival. Um, what seems to catalyze all revivals is a personal or corporate experience with God that changes something about the people that experience it. The scriptural justification for that is in Acts 2. So let's read Acts 2. Chapter one, or cha verse 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all gathered in one accord, in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing of a mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues as of fire, and it sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. And when this was told abroad, the multitude came together, and they were confounded, because every man heard them speak in their own language. Now skip down to verse 40. Peter preaches a sermon after this, and then after his sermon it says, and with many other words did Peter testify and exhort, saying, save yourself from this untoward generation. Then they gladly received his word and were baptized. And the same day they were added unto him, unto them, excuse me, about 3,000 souls. 
And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. That's the day of Pentecost when the church was born. Everybody was gathered together, and they had this kind of corporate experience with the Holy Spirit, which resulted in boldness in Peter, and then a bunch of people gave their lives to Jesus. But it's important not to just build a whole bunch of theology based on one passage of Scripture. Skip over to chapter 4, verse 31. We have the exact same group of people gathered. Now they've experienced persecution, and people are mad at them for preaching the gospel, and so they pray, and they ask God to give them more boldness to continue preaching. And notice this in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. I'd like to be at a prayer meeting that causes an earthquake sometime. There's been a lot of them in history. I've read about them. I've been at some prayer meetings where it seemed like it was shaking, but this actually shaked the place. And then they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. What this shows, I think, is that we're meant to have ongoing encounters with the Holy Spirit. And the, the pattern basically is this, have an encounter with Jesus that changes you in some way and then affect those people around you. That's a simple pattern, isn't it? I don't think we should make the formula any more specific than that because if we do, we can potentially limit what God does. What I'm looking for in this revival that, that we want to be part of is just, I want people, I'm not trying to have people experience one particular thing. I want you to experience anything God has. And, and I just, I want you to get what you need to do what God has called you to do. And I've come to understand that that might be different for other people. And I'm not trying to force people to have the same exact experiences as me, but I will say this, these encounters, how do these things happen? They seem to happen frequently in the context of prayer, study, meditation, or corporate gathering. Now this raises questions, I'm trying to do this fast, is revival a sovereign act of God? Well, if you know me, you know my answer to that is no. <laughs> I just like the word we heard this morning, so Cheryl was reading my mail, we're, we're not just supposed to wait around until God does something. Uh, Charles Finney was one of the greatest revivalists in history. He said this, People cannot do Satan's work more effectively than to use the sovereignty of God as a reason for not, to endeavoring, or not endeavoring to produce a revival. What he meant was that just because God's powerful doesn't mean that I'm just supposed to sit here and do nothing and, and hope he fixes everything. Andrew Womack always says it this way, Christ's body is praying for a move of God. Jesus is praying for a move of His body. <laughs> Which is, you know, both of those are a little harsh, but it's, it's true, okay? I mean, so, sometimes we're not doing much. So, But the key is, is, is we don't want to just run out and do a bunch of legalistic, anxious activity. That's not what I'm talking about, all right? But, but what we need to realize is that we live with a green light and that we have permission. Yes. 
For much of recent church history, though, the way people have gone about producing revival, like Charles Finney have said, is, is by doing seasons of intense prayer and fasting and, and holy living. And that's scriptural. But if you look back on history, what you find is that sometimes that can lead people to feeling like beggars rather than sons, and it can, it can lead into this legalism. So I was reading about this, you know, and they were talking about in the 1850s that they had this revival and everybody was excited because people were being more holy. Now, I'm happy with people being holy, but they were talking about, you know, you know, the ladies quit wearing gold rings and, and you know, they quit playing football and they quit going to the theater and all that. You know, it, it was a little bit like extreme, all right? I'm happy if people quit, if people quit, you know, being alcoholics and whatever, but it can, you understand, it can go too far. And the problem is, is sometimes people believe that the move of the Holy Spirit is, is contingent on my personal level of holiness. And if that's true, there, there's not much hope of the Holy Spirit moving here. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, we're called to live holy, but my holy life is not what causes God to move. And many denominations were birthed in revival and in the supernatural, but they became so condemned with denouncing sin that, that, that the condemnation drove the Spirit out of the church. Sin doesn't actually drive the Holy Spirit out of the church. I know that's hard for people to accept, but if you're a pastor, you know there's lots of sin in the church. What drives the Holy Spirit out of the church is, is when people, because of their sin, feel so condemned that they're no longer willing to let God help them. That's all it is. The qu I mean, your sin's a problem, but, the, but Jesus can fix it. But he can't fix it if you feel so horrible that you don't let him talk to you. Or you quit going to church. Additionally, there's an ongoing problem in revival circles where sometimes people that haven't had whatever the experience of the day is, you know, whether... So that you, throughout history, it's like, well, you've got to have, you've got to have a sanctification experience. Then you've got to have a speaking in tongues experience. Then you've got, to have a, you know, you've got to have all these different experiences. And look, I'm into all of them. But if you haven't had that yet, you can start to feel like a second-class citizen. And sometimes in revival circles, there becomes this spiritual elitism where people that are doing a certain manifestation, look at people that aren't doing that and think they're better. And you say, well, that's not true. Well, so it is. I mean, if you look at the history, because I love, I'm a Pentecostal, all right? I love the Pentecostal tradition. Part of the problem is that when Pentecostalism happened, a lot of the mainline denominations said, we're not sure you guys are saved. And that, that hurt a lot of those people's hearts. So what they said in response was, well, you guys are the ones that aren't saved. 
And this is still going on. There's a major, major mainline guy that believes that the entire spirit-filled tradition is, is heretical. None of us are Christians. I think he's a Christian. But, you know, anyway. So a lot of that's just, it's, it's just fighting over stuff that we shouldn't fight about. We should just honor what God's doing. So look at the back of your notes real quick. It says this. What makes us special is not the various encounters we have with God. Those are available, but we must seek for them from a place of emotional wholeness. Do you know that my kids, they don't all have the same kinds of interactions with me. Because I uh, understand they're different, and I try to meet them where they are and what their love language is. And I think, some, I think some of the ways that God interacts with us has to do with our love language. Everybody say this with me. I don't need any more experiences to feel significant. Everybody say this. I don't need to do anything else for God to be significant. I love revival. I love the move of the Holy Spirit. I love all this stuff we had going on today. My concern as a pastor is always, well, if you, if you don't tie your identity to, that, to doing those things. What makes me special is not that I'm a pastor and I get to preach from here. It's the fact that Jesus died for me. I remember that, I can do this from a place of wholeness. Now, what do I think? We, I, there's two things that, there's, that I think we need to understand. We'll do these real quickly. If we're to participate in this revival that's going on and yet not fall into the traps of previous generations. There's a grace side and there's a faith side. There's always a grace side and a faith side. There's always God's part and your part. The grace side is this. All experiences with God are the byproduct of the finished work of Jesus. You don't experience anything in God because you have worked so hard and prayed so long and fasted so much. Now in a minute, I'm going to explain to you why you should still pray hard and fast. But you've got to understand this part first. Everything we receive from God is by grace. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, All the promises of God are in Him, yes, and in Him, amen. God has already said yes to whatever you need. That includes the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Joel 2. Is that a promise of God? So Jesus already said yes to it. Right? So do I need to wrestle for hours in prayer with God to try to get Him to say yes to the outpouring? No. Exerting a bunch of energy to get a yes from God, God honors it. God's not mad at you, but it's, I think it's misguided. We're supposed to exert energy in prayer instead to pull our hearts 
in a position to receive what has already been paid for. I pray to fix my heart, not to fix God's. As a corollary of that, John 7, 38 says, Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. What, what Cheryl said is true. Revival doesn't come from outer space. God's not hanging out around planet Pluto, and then I pray enough, and then he comes down here. God's in heaven. But the scripture says, heaven's in me. And if there's going to be an outpouring... It's not going to come from outer space. It's going to come from inside of you and me. Does that make sense? So we're not trying to earn something that we don't have. I have great concern that sometimes in revival circles, people get into trying to get something that they already have. That's why Andrew's series, You've Already Got It, is really powerful. Colossians 2.10 says we're already complete in Jesus. So like I said, we don't need to accomplish anything else, experience anything else in order to be significant. Okay, is all that true that I just said? Well, I think it's true. You don't have to agree with me. But here's the deal. The fact is that even though we've already been given everything in Christ, that does not mean we're currently experiencing everything that we've been given. Grace teachers, like myself, will often criticize praying for revival. Well, you don't need to pray for revival. You need to live revival. Well, look, I, I agree. Um, and, and historically, that's an accurate criticism because sometimes people have, have not really known who they are in Christ and they're like beggars trying to get God to do something. But the reality is that still worked. If you look at history, it worked. So, what I would encourage you is to get off your theological high horse and look at the fruit. What matters is the fruit more than the method. Thank you. Yes, Pastor. Yes, Pastor. We all agree. Everybody say, I love Pastor Max. So, I, 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 but here's the deal. In modern, I, I, so I've been heavily influenced by two camps. One's the Grace Camp. This is the Andrew Womack people, Joseph Prince people. The other people are the Randy Clark people, the, the revival people. All right? I'll tell you, the revival people today... When they pray, come Holy Spirit, and they pray, revival come and all this, they know that they're already full. All right? I promise. They know that. What they're praying is to experience what they already have. It's very much like this. I'm married. I know I'm married because I can go look at my marriage license. It's a written document, and it proves that I'm married. 
And whether I feel married or not, I can look at that and know that I'm married. This is your marriage certificate. God is in you. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, He who has joined himself unto the Lord is one spirit. You can read that. You can know that you are full and that the Holy Spirit lives in you whether you feel something or not. Hallelujah. That's the foundation of your life. That's the foundation of your faith, not your feelings. But do you know that sometimes I'll say to my wife, come over here and give me a kiss. Nobody else does that. (laughs) You're missing out. Look, my wife will be in the same room as me. She's with me. I know we're married. I got the document. But I want to experience the benefits of that marriage. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's what revivals, it's about experiencing the benefits of of what, what Jesus has already provided. So I like to pray, come Holy Spirit, but I'm not trying to get him to come from Pluto. I'm trying to get him to come out of me. I'm giving him permission to flow out of me, to affect people. That's what Randy does. Now, if you don't like, you don't have to pray that way, but I'm trying to help you connect with that circle if you're ever in one of those meetings. That's what they're doing, okay? So I pray that because... I, I, I understand the theology, and also because there's a lot of historical precedent for doing that. The way Evan Roberts started his revivals is he would have, like, they'd just go in a row, like Josh would say this, and then he'd sit down, and then Rob, and, the, and he'd have, have everybody stand up and say, send the Holy Spirit now in the name of Jesus, and then sit down, and then the next person. And they just did this, and then they just waited Until something happened. <laughs> and a lot of good stuff happened. Hallelujah. All right. So now their, their theology was probably different than ours, but it worked. So now the last part, though, really quickly, and then I'll let you go. Why do revivals matter? If you look back through history, revivals are a big way that God helps turn the ship of history the way he wants it to go. Now, why does that work? I think it's because the two biggest forces that seem to shape history are ideas and personal sacrifice. Either leading up to revival or as a byproduct of revival, I usually have to change the way I think about stuff. If you experience a bunch of supernatural stuff, usually that changes how you think. Sometimes you have to change how you think first. But regardless, what goes on in revival is that people, and usually large groups of people, have ways they think about God changed. And if anything shifts history, it's the shift in the the overall beliefs of a large group of people. The other main thing that shapes history is unique people in in unique individuals in history that are willing to make personal sacrifices to change stuff. I think about people like John Wesley. He traveled 225,000 miles on horseback, carriage, and walking in his ministry. It's like several times around the circumference of the earth. 
One time, he was going somewhere to a meeting in his 80s, and so they bought him a carriage because he was in his 80s, and, and he couldn't ride as good. But the carriage made it through two swamps, but the third swamp was too much. And so he was broke down, and so a guy came and carried him on his shoulders through the third swamp to get to the meeting. And he just pre- he preached to thousands of people, multiple meetings a day, uh, all his life, multiple days a week. Just an amazing, amazing man. Huge, huge personal sacrifices. Why, why are people willing to make those kinds of sacrifices? It's typically because they have powerful encounters with Jesus in some kind of revival situation. A lot of times it's by themselves. Sometimes it's in a corporate gathering. But how many of you have been in a meeting and it's like real emotional and somebody gets called to be a missionary or be, you know, make personal sacrifices? Why do those things happen? It's, it's in these revivals that God touches people's hearts and summons them to make personal sacrifices. Now, here's the thing. All of, most of us, me included, are not John Wesley. I'm not concerned about having a Wikipedia page or being famous. What I want to do is shape the history of my family and those around me. How am I going to do that? By encountering transformative theology, by having personal encounters with the Lord, which empower me to make personal sacrifice. That's what I want to do. I want to know God better, and I want to fall in love with Him and make whatever sacrifices are necessary to shape the history of my life and those around me. How many of you want to be involved in that? Hallelujah. All right. Well, let's all stand up and then come to the music. I'm going to pray for everybody. Next week, we're going to have a lot of fun. Don't miss it when Jerry's here. My prayer team could come down here. We did all that, and we still got done in time. That's a miracle. I was listening to this guy. I forget his name. Who's the guy with the giant church in Asia? Dr. Cho. He says that he's so busy that he has to pray four hours a day so he can get done all the stuff that he needs to do. That's a different perspective, isn't it? You know, if we take time for what's most important, a lot of the other stuff will get taken care of. I'm going to pray for everybody. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your love, for your mercy, for your faithfulness. Thank you that we get a part, be part of what you're doing in history. We're excited about it. And Jesus, we just want to follow you. We don't want to run somebody else's race. We don't want to compare ourselves to other people. We want to do what you've called us to do. So help us know you better. And help us encounter you in powerful ways that lead us to to take up our cross and make the sacrifices necessary to live fully for you. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. Have a great week. If you need personal prayer, come down. My prayer team would love to pray for you. We're blessed. If you'd like to meet me, I'll be right down front here.